0: Uh, We are in the middle of a series that lasts much of the summer. Uh, Carrie began it by talking about the idea of of fruit. I'm a little more like Carrie. I am neither a farmer nor a gardener. I am an eater. It's my spiritual gift and I exercise it all the time. But I do remember the idea that uh, the corn that I love to eat is supposed to be knee-high by the 4th of July. And so far, in spite of the heat, it is a good year. But it's a reminder to me that what Rich and Lee and James have been saying about the fruit of the Spirit is so true. The farmer cannot make the corn grow. We cannot make the vine produce grapes. That is the work of God alone. We can make sure that it does not happen. We can do such terrible things that it never grows, but we can't make it happen. And that's particularly true of the fruit that we would like to eat today. Paul says to the Galatian church, The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against these things there is no law those who belong to Christ Jesus not those who are Christians those who belong to Christ Jesus have put to death the sinful nature with its passions and desires since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit and the fruit of the spirit Will come to us. In particular today, the fruit of faithfulness. Some of you feel like you are not very faithful, even if you have been Christians a long time. Some of you are not sure what faith even is or faithfulness. According to the writer of the Hebrews, faith is the assurance of what we hope for, faith is the confidence of things. We do not see. Faith is different than belief. I saw an example of that this last month. There was a, a, a man who was trying something that had not been done for over a hundred years. He was going to walk across Niagara Falls. And, uh, and, and many of the people who saw him believed because of his record that he could do it. The insurance company was not as confident, so they put a little harness on him. But he went right over the lowest part of the falls, Nick Wallenda, following in the steps of his great great grandfather, one of the other Wallendas who went over the falls much higher up. When he did it, he was the best of his time. And he got so good that it became commonplace that he could go across the falls like this. And so one day he got out a wheelbarrow. And put the wheelbarrow down and went across the falls. And people were amazed. He got all the way to the other side. People said, he said, you think I can do it again? They said, yes. He goes, get in the wheelbarrow. They said, no. (laughs) That's the difference between belief and faith. Faith is trusting somebody enough to get into the wheelbarrow. Do you have faith or do you just believe? Faith is trusting in God enough to act on what you say you believe. Now that's a very important question. You should not have faith in everything that is said to you. Our culture pushes us to have faith in the wrong thing over and over. They make promises all the time. You probably should not have faith in everything that comes out of a politician's mouth. Often the rhetoric is promises without fulfillment. In the same way Faith often in our society is like diet soda. Lots of fizz, no nutrition. You have lived long enough to know that what is promised doesn't always hold firm. What people say is not always what people do. Building your life by faith in something is always a risk. So what do you have faith in? It's a risk. C.S. Lewis said, sand is good for a lot of things, but don't try building a real house with it. His point is that when you depend on people, when you put your faith in people, they'll let you down. When you put your faith in the wrong things, we get hurt. So instead, instead we talk about faith in God. Being faithful to trust God. We sing, great is thy faithfulness. But what does it mean? The Apostle Paul says something like, if you live by the Holy Spirit, you keep in step with the Holy Spirit and your life is different. Faith-filled people, faithful people, people with the gift of faithfulness, they trust in God and in the process they become trustworthy. People who trust in God become trustworthy people. They are slightly different than the people around them. Faithful people start to live different than those who don't trust in God the same way. Faith-filled people begin to forgive their enemies, to bless even the ones who curse them. Faithful people start to remain pure in a culture that goes the other way. Faithful people face death. Square in the face, instead of pretending that you are going to live young forever. Faithful people bring hope and joy into anxiety and doom. Most of all, under it all, people with faith, people with trust in God, faithful people, have a sense that we are not alone. That you are not alone. And also that you are not home. There's a sense... That what we have at our very best is just a taste of what lies ahead. That's that's faith. Now, I don't think that living by faith is supposed to be like a tightrope act over Niagara Falls where you make one wrong step, you miss the will of God for one minute, boom, it's done. I also don't think faith is supposed to be like walking on the water, only you're the only one that knows where the rocks in the lake are. I don't think that it's a secret handshake or language. For Paul, faith is learning who you can trust and following them. Paul risks his life on that. I believe with Paul that God can support whatever you're carrying today. What promises in life do you worry about that might give away, that might crumble, that might not be trustworthy? Do you have faith in those promises? What about the promises you made when you were married and you keep messing up? Do you have faith in the promise of a friend to keep a secret that embarrasses you? Do you have faith in the promise of a new job or promotion? Do you have confidence, trust, that this surgery will make you good as new? Do you have faith to hold firm In a season of pain that seems endless and you feel so alone. You know, sometimes I feel like faith becomes another word for, Come on, God! Come on, God! Let's get going! Sometimes we think we need to speed things up for God, to have God really show up. Henri Nouwen says, God is way out ahead of us. And faith is God's way of reaching back to draw us forward. Can we just start with the idea that faith is often waiting instead of doing something? How do you wait? How do you be faithful? When I think of faithfulness, I think of the greats, right? Faith is Moses stretching out his staff over the sea and watching it split in half. Faith is Billy Graham showing up to preach and two million Koreans show up. Faith is Mother Teresa stooping over a dying beggar and reassuring him that he will be in heaven today. Those are the people of faith. And I have faith when things are going well. I have faith when the seas are calm, but faith is what's needed in the storm. I, I, I learned something this year from a book. The founder of the Methodist Church in England and America... Uh, was a man named John Wesley, a preacher, evangelist. And Wesley went around the world and married later in his life, fairly impulsively. And it was a terrible mistake. He not only married the wrong woman, but their marriage hurt them both over and over and over. And Wesley was repeatedly encouraged by people to admit that he had made a mistake and to leave the woman behind. And for decades... He remained faithful, waiting for God to do something different, and God never did, as far as we know, do anything different in her life. It's easy to be faithful when the when the sea splits, but what happens when you're like Wesley and you're just called to wait till tomorrow? That's faithfulness. It says the fruit of faithfulness because it's supposed to taste like something. What is the what is the taste of faithfulness? Taste like I had a couple pictures yesterday as I was thinking about this. The first one was a, a young man who got engaged and had a, a beautiful uh, fiance, and they, they came in for the first premarital, and at the end of the time, together, he, he uh, walks out with her, and I'm excited for them. He walks back into the office in a couple minutes and says, "Can we talk?" I said, "Of course." And he said, "Dude." She's smoking hot, isn't she? And I vaguely understood what he meant. And uh, I I said, yeah, she's beautiful. He goes, I am trying so hard to be sexually pure, but it is so hard. I want to be that kind of man for her, but it's so hard. Would you pray that I'd be faithful to her? I just did that wedding earlier this summer, and I admire that young man. That's what faithfulness tastes like. For years, she sat over there. Her name was Nancy Putman. Nancy uh, and her second husband, Charlie, had been on the committee that brought me, and then Charlie died, and then Nancy got sick here some years ago. And I went to see her when she knew that it was past the time when she would get better. And she turned to me and she says, <clears throat> in her Nancy Putman way, getting old stinks, don't do it. <laughs> she said, getting old stinks, but God will get me through dying like everything else. That's what faithfulness tastes like. Now, we've been saying all summer that you don't grow the fruits. At best, You weed the garden and you water the plants and you put fertilizer in the ground. How do we cultivate? I want that kind of faithfulness. I want getting old stinks, but God's going to get me through it. I want to be able to say, in a culture that is impure, I am going to try to stay pure. I want that taste in my mouth. How do you get it? Can I just, let me give you three thoughts I've had about how you might be more faithful, cultivate that fruit of faithfulness in your life. The the first one really comes out of the idea that faithfulness is not how you feel. Faithfulness is not an emotion. And so I think the place to start is to examine your soul. You will never know if you're faithful or not until you know where you're not faithful. You will never know if you're faithful or not until you know where you're not being faithful. And I think you need to start there. Examine your life. Say, this is where I am not faithful. I don't trust God for this. I'm afraid to give this to God. You would be like the man who came to Jesus because his son was sick. And Jesus says, do you believe I can heal him? I believe. Help my unbelief. That's all of us, right? Where are you lacking in faith? Only when you say you need faith can God help you. We had Mark Batterson, a friend of ours, preach here about prayer this year. Mark talked once about faithfulness way. He said, faithfulness is learning two more words. You describe the situation you're in and you add two more words. You describe the situation, that's saying, I lack faith here. Help me. And you add two words. And he said, they're the same two words. See if you can pick them out. The floodwaters cover the earth for 150 days and destroy everything. But God remembered Noah and brought them to safety. God restores his creation. Joseph's brothers intended to hurt him, but God intended it all along for good. God has an agenda for you different than any plans or circumstance. Saul, the wicked king, hunted David every day, but God didn't let Saul find him. God sees us no matter where we're hiding. The psalmist declares, my health may fail, but God remains the strength of my heart. They nailed Jesus to the cross and killed him, but God raised him to life on the third day. What's the word? But God. God, I'm running out of money. But God. God, I'm not sure if I am going to get better or if this is my deathbed. But God. God, she says she doesn't love me anymore. But God. It's been so long since I had a good job. But God. All those people that we look at, David, Moses, Noah, the the people who are the heroes of the faith, they're just like you and me. But they heard two more words, but God. And one time they held on to those words. They just held on to those words. They said, I don't know where this is going, but God. So first you have to say, where do I not believe that there is a but God? The second part of becoming a more faith-filled person, seeing the fruit develop, I believe comes when you start to find places where you can actually hear God. When you can hear God speak of God's faithfulness to you. For some of you, the summer is a perfect time because you see God in nature. You hear God's voice speak to you more clearly when you're outside. For others of you, You hear God speak when you are with friends who follow Christ in ways that you admire. For some of you, it's in here. You hear God more clearly. For many of us, as Carrie said in the children's sermon, God's voice speaks to us best in the scriptures. You need to hear those to hear God being faithful to you. Let me give you three easy ones. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul to the Romans. Or how about this one? As far as the east is from the west, that's how far I will throw all the bad things you've done away. And I'll remember them no more. Wouldn't you like to hear that some days? Psalm 103. Or how about this one? In all things, God is at work for the good of those who love Him. That doesn't mean God makes everything happen bad to you. That means in everything that happens to you, God is at work. But God. I believe faithful people are just those people who clutch the faithfulness of God. They get closer to how faithful God is, and the more they trust God, the more God trusts them. The more they become trustworthy, faithful people. The third idea, you examine where you're not faithful and you see where God can speak to you. The third thing is, as you wait in faith. Remember we said a lot of faith is just waiting? As you wait in faith, see what you can do now. A lot of you are waiting for life to start. You need to say what God wants me to do today that I am afraid to do. What is God calling you to do today before the circumstances get better? One of my friends who's preached here, Wayne Gordon, leads a a black inner city church in Chicago. And they were doing a capital campaign. You know, for them, a capital campaign was $40,000 to fix the roof. And they were doing it in an African-American way where people come forward with their money or their pledges. And one woman comes forward and and Gordy stops her and says, Oh, Elma, Elma, you can't give. Come on, honey. You can't. You got nothing? And this little black lady turns to Gordy and says, Don't you take away this from me. Don't you take away the privilege of me helping God help those poor people. She's got nothing. Don't you take this away from me. Um, I saw a picture of what faithfulness looks like. Let me put it up on the screen here. This is a young man who, uh, just out of uh, college, uh, goes and works in uh, an inner-city school system. And as the coach, becomes friends with the young black man there and uh, encouraged him to invite a girl to the prom for the first time and then showed him how to tie a tie for the first time. And since he had never taken a girl to a restaurant, Got a date and took the girl, took the kid and his girl to a restaurant for the first time before they went to the prom. When you and I have the privilege in tiny, tiny ways of being the hands and feet of Jesus, we get to see God at work. We get to see God at work. That helps us be faithful. I did two weddings yesterday. And late last night, at, at the end of the second wedding, um, they were giving the toasts. You know, there's no such thing as a free meal. The toasts at weddings are where you know that they go on ah 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 ah, don't they? The third, the third of seventeen toasts, though, was by one of the best men, and because uh, they had two best men, uh, one of the best men gets up, and he is um, an Iranian. Um, who met this young man at Pepperdine, and uh, he gives him a hard time for the first twenty minutes of the toast. No, for the first two minutes, he gives him a, a hard, gives his friend a hard time, and he says, "But I, I just before I do the toast, I just want you to know, dude, I I came to college and I didn't know much about God. I, I've got no church, but when I saw you living the way that you live." He said, friend, you're my church. You're my church. He said, I may go to a brick and mortar church someday, but for now, you're my church. He saw in that young man the fruit of faithfulness, and it drew him to the living God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these sisters and brothers here. All of us who are struggling to be faithful. All of us who believe and ask you to help our unbelief. All of us who would love to taste the sweetness of your faithfulness and trust you enough to wait for it trust you enough to step out and do today the one thing that you call us to do for you. Bless us. In your great and holy name, bless us.